0: This is Emmanuel God with us, the radio ministry of Emmanuel Lutheran Church in Twin Falls, Idaho. Good morning. Today is the ninth Sunday after Trinity. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Let us then confess our sins to God our Father, most merciful God Have mercy on us, forgive us, renew us, and lead us, so that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways, to the glory of your holy name. Amen. In the mercy of Almighty God, Jesus Christ was given to die for us, and for his sake God forgives us all our sins. To those who believe in Jesus Christ, he gives the power to become children of God and bestows on them the Holy Spirit. May the Lord who has begun this good work in us bring it to completion in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. O Lord, our Heavenly Father, almighty and everlasting God, you have safely brought us to the beginning of this day. Our Old Testament reading this morning comes from the final pages of 2nd Samuel and in it the author really tries to describe God and his attitude toward God and it's a very positive message. The Old Testament reading is from 2nd Samuel chapter 22. With the merciful Lord you show yourself merciful With the blameless man, you show yourself blameless. With the purified, you deal purely. And with the crooked, you make yourself seem tortuous. You save a humble people, but your eyes are on the haughty to bring them down. For you are my lamp, O Lord, and my God lightens my darkness. For by you I can run against a troop. And by my God, I can leap over a wall. This God, his way is perfect. The word of the Lord proves true. He is a shield for all those who take refuge in him. For who is God but the Lord? And who is a rock except our God? This God is my strong refuge and has made my way blameless. He made my feet like the feet of a deer and set me secure on the heights. This is the word of the Lord. Our epistle lesson comes from the last verses of Romans chapter nine and the first verses of Romans chapter 10. The epistle is from Romans nine verse 30. What shall we say then that Gentiles, who did not pursue righteousness, have attained it, that is, a righteousness that is by faith, but that Israel, who pursued a law that would lead to righteousness, did not succeed in reaching that law. Why? Because they did not pursue it by faith, but as if it were based on works. They have stumbled over the stumbling stone as it is written, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them is that they may be saved, for I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. For being ignorant of the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. This is the word of the Lord. Our gospel comes from St. Luke's 16th chapter. Since my master is taking the management away from me, I am not strong enough to dig, and I am ashamed to beg. I have decided what to do, so that when I am removed from management, people may receive me into their houses. So summoning his master's debtors one by one, he said to the first, How much do you owe my master? He said, a hundred measures of oil. He said to him, take your bill, sit down quickly, and write 50. Then he said to another, and how much do you owe? He said, a hundred measures of wheat. He said to him, take your bill and write 80. The master commended the dishonest manager for his shrewdness, for the sons of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than the sons of life. And I tell you, make friends for yourselves by means of unrighteous wealth so that when it fails, they may receive you into their eternal dwellings. This is the Gospel of the Lord. Heavenly Father, may the words that I speak and the meditation of our hearts be acceptable in your sight for you are our strength and you are our redeemer. The title of this sermon, A Stone of Stumbling, is something that, to my knowledge, occurs in the scripture three times and I think I discovered this week that I never actually knew what it was all about. But a word of review about Paul's writing in general is important. Why did Paul write an epistle to the Romans at all? He had lots of letters that he wrote during his ministry to other churches, but almost all the other letters were to churches where Paul had ministered, where he had been, where he had spoken to the people, where he knew faces and names. But there's a special agenda that Paul had in mind when he wrote the epistle to the Romans because he wanted their help paul had been all over the eastern part of the mediterranean sea and had been successful some places not so successful in others but he knew it was time to move on let others take over his position in the eastern mediterranean and he wanted to go west paul wanted to bring the gospel to iberia which today we would call spain and to Gaul which today we would call France. But he couldn't go all the way back to Antioch in Syria as his home base, so he needed a western headquarters, and he hoped that could be in Rome. So throughout the whole book of Romans, Paul was, in a way, asking an unspoken question, can we work together? Paul said, here in this book, I lay out my heart my faith, my theology, and I hope we can agree completely. Because if we can, we can work together to carry out our mission of taking the gospel west. Martin Luther had an extremely high opinion of the book of Romans because when you read the book, even if you didn't know the background, Romans is a wonderful theological treatise. It just lays out all of the important elements of what Christ did, why he did it, and how we can have faithful relationship with God as a result of what Christ did. But there was a special difficulty for Paul as he writes a letter to the Romans. Because Paul, as you remember, used to be called Saul. And in those bad old days, Saul was essentially a henchman for the the central church of Judaism. And his job was, wherever he could find it, to stamp out this poison of Christianity. To convince people to quit believing and to quit preaching. And if that didn't work, to put them in jail or otherwise end their voices. That's who Saul was likely congregation in rome was going to first of all come from jews that's the way it had been everywhere else paul had worked and so to start with that in your background made his writing about jews very very sensitive they considered him a traitor he was once one of the top scholars in all of judaism and now He's out preaching Jesus Christ and him crucified, which for Jews is a sign of being cursed, and risen, and being the source of Jesus, being the source of forgiveness. The Jews just couldn't buy it, by and large, and Paul was very frustrated with the Jews, and everybody knew Paul's background, and they knew Paul's frustration, so he had to deal with it. That's what we heard today. He began with, What shall we say then? Well, he has just gone through all of his problems with the Jewish understanding of how you relate to God. And we go back now, all the way to the source of that phrase, a stumbling stone, back to Isaiah. That, this was written 750 years before Paul was born. And as Isaiah the prophet tried to minister to his people, they were under great, great threat. The Assyrian army was on the borders and was coming. And the Assyrian army was the most terrible force in the world at that time. And they were brutal. And they were sadistic. And they were coming. But the people of Israel seemed not to be very bothered by it because they had a misunderstanding because they had stumbled over the stumbling stone. God told the people of Israel, Trust me. But they had decided, No, we better trust ourselves. So they were quite confident that as long as the temple rituals continued on schedule, as long as the sacrifices were offered, as long as individual Jews lived according to their Jewish traditions and rules, well then, God's going to take care of us. We don't have to worry about the Assyrian threat. We'll be protected. Isaiah disagreed. He said, what you've done is basically misunderstand completely what God is trying to tell you. When he gave you these rules, when he gave you these rituals, when he gave you these efforts to keep clear on him, Now, Isaiah did say, God can do the impossible, but he's not going to do anything based on what you do. Well, God did the impossible. You remember the story? The Assyrians did come south. The Assyrians did encircle Jerusalem, laying siege to it. And then, in a phrase that I've mentioned often, a phrase that I find just delightful, One night, the angel of death went into the encircling Assyrian camp, and I can't remember what version of the Old Testament it was in English, but it said, and the next morning, 185,000 of the Assyrians woke up dead. The Assyrians were nasty and brutal and all those other things. They were also smart enough to realize this is bad. So they just picked up and went back home, and God did save the people. The performance that saved the people was entirely in God's hand. The people's performance of their religious rituals had nothing to do with it. Now, Paul has also run into Jews and a stumbling stone. As Paul goes around the Mediterranean in his ministry, the Jewish people he he meets valued religious observance following all the rules as best you can as a way to earn righteousness and through that righteousness to earn God's good graces. They just couldn't trust Paul's message of righteousness by faith. That didn't make any sense. And just in general, the Jews, based on his life's history, couldn't trust Paul. So Paul now has got to explain in his epistle to the Romans, here's the problem I've had with my Jewish brothers and sisters. Here's the problem that I hope we can somehow solve. Because to stand righteous before God, you can't do it yourself. It doesn't matter how perfectly you follow all the rules. You are born a sinner. We confess to ourselves today already, We are born sinful and unclean. We continue in sinfulness. We sin continually. We cannot save ourselves. But Paul was there to announce, but God can save you. He can work a miracle that you do not deserve. He can save your soul. You cannot do that on your own. Now, (coughs) Christians knew Once they had learned, through Paul and others, to take a careful look at the law, they knew that they couldn't keep the law, but just that God had created a perfect world which, if it had stayed perfect, would have kept the law. But it didn't stay perfect. And in Eden, and all time since then, the perfection that God had built into his creation was ruined by us, And there's no way for we to undo that ruination. But Christ did keep the law perfectly. Remember, important to remember, he was born of a virgin. You can't be born of a virgin unless God works the miracle. And we confess he was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, and then he lived and ministered and taught until he died. Now, here's a phrase that I I know I've harangued you with this for years, a phrase that I think we ought to use more often. What happened on the cross at Calvary? God died. That can't happen. Except in this case, it did. He was really dead. He wasn't just pretending he was dead. God died. Jesus, who was born unique among all humans, born of a virgin, but fully human, because every moment of his time in the womb, you had a moment just like that. And then he was born, and you were born. You're going to die, probably. I'm going to die, certainly. And Jesus did. He was fully human, but he was also God. God Died, and that impossible position paid the price for sin that the Creator demanded. And so, through faith in Jesus Christ, we can have the righteousness that God insists upon, and in no other way can we have that gift. Our debt was paid not by our careful observance of anything, but was paid by God, by His death on the cross. And then, in his resurrection, it's as if God shouted to the world, Mission accomplished! It's done. I've rescued you. You can be my children. You can look forward to heaven. Not because you followed the rules, but because Jesus followed the rules perfectly and then died sacrificially and paid your debt. Now in Rome... In uh, Romans 9, verse 33, we run into a, a classic example of something that faces us. It faces all of us today, and that is a confusion between religion and faith. The word religion literally refers to what you do, the life you show, the things you do, the money you give. That's all part of religion. But faith is what saves us. Does that mean God doesn't care about all this religious stuff? Not at all. But God says, in the gift of faith, which I will give you, I will give you forgiveness of sins, eternal life, but I will also give you the power to live a religious life. I will give you the ability, for God's sake, to do the things that God wants you to do. Religion is not unimportant, but it can't be the most important thing. Faith, Paul says, is important. Now, he writes to explain, the Jews are going to have a hard time with this, but I can't change the truth, I won't change the truth. Righteousness must come through faith. That tendency to insist that what we do is what God wants, That exists today. That exists in religions all over our country, all over the world. So how do we not stumble in the same way those Jews in in the first century and before the first century back in Isaiah? How do we not stumble over that stumbling stone? Because who is that stumbling stone? By now you should have known. It's Jesus. Jesus came to save us. He didn't come to be an example of keeping the rules, although he kept the rules perfectly. He came to die because we can't keep the rules perfectly. He is the stumbling stone that was placed in Zion. And he is going to be a source of confusion and and an offensive idea to the basic human nature, which, as we've already confessed today, is sinful, and unclean from the very beginning. So how do we not stumble? Really, it gets down to something pretty simple. Paul says, you do have to listen to what God says. But don't think that God is saying to you, do, 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 do all these right things. Do them well enough and I'll love you. He doesn't say that. Instead, what God says is, In Jesus Christ, it is done. It is done for you. Through faith, the victory of Jesus becomes your victory. The perfect life of Jesus was offered so that you might be forgiven for your imperfect life. Don't hear God saying, do. Instead, hear him say, It is done. Amen. We have a faith that is a gift from God, and that faith needs to be, because of who we are by birth, it needs to be reviewed and remembered and recited and shared. And we do all of that in the words of the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, From thence he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. And further, another of his blessings, Jesus taught us his prayer. and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. May the Lord bless us and keep us. May the Lord make his face shine on us and be gracious to us. May the Lord look upon us with his favor, and may he give us his peace. Amen. We are with every breath.